Way men, who am I to speak for such a one as holy as our God? Um, I think uh, that is always something that weighs on our hearts when we come up here and speak to the people of God, the things of God's word, and we remember who we uh, who we're speaking for. Um, indeed, it's a. I've often challenged myself and remembered the passage in James three where it says, "Be not many teachers, knowing that there's a greater condemnation." And so, it's always a. Um, it's always a weighty thing, and uh, we appreciate your prayers. But if you would. Turn in your Bibles. We go back to the Gospel of John. It's been a few weeks that I've preached here in the Gospel of John. I want to invite you to return to that. Um, the weight of this passage has been on my heart uh, as we look at John chapter 8, verses 21 through 30. Um, it's not an easy text of scripture as far as the message is quite plain quite simple but it's a grievous warning if we might say grievous it's a we should maybe say a terrible warning Um, if we remember last time I spoke I was in uh, chapter 8 verses 12 through 20 Last time I was in the Gospel of John, I should say. And Jesus made this profound and glorious declaration and claim that where he says that I am the light of the world. And if any man or he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And what a that passage after studying that and and preaching on it, and it just has become so such a such a blessing because it is so clear isn't it that Jesus said I am the light of the world he doesn't say I came into the world to bring light but rather that he is the very light that illuminates the darkness of this world he is the light and in him, all the things of this world make sense. Everything uh, uh, becomes illuminated in him. And he goes on to say that he who follows me shall not walk in darkness. And we looked at uh, that issue of darkness and we considered it from Ephesians, I believe, um, where the vanity of our mind the emptiness, the vain, purposeless life that that we live outside of Christ is walking in darkness. But he says, if you follow him, you will not walk. You shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Such a wonderful passage. But now today, so we have the same audience here um, I want to read the text first, beginning in John 8, verse 21, and following through verse 30. We have the same audience that Christ uh, spoke to earlier. Remember, this is right following the occasion of the adulterous woman that the Pharisees drugged to um, the public hearing in front of the temple there, or in the temple court, actually, I believe it was in the um, treasury of the temple, and uh, this is the account, and really, and truly, this is an ongoing um, issue with the Pharisees and the rulers and the scribes who are constantly opposing Christ, and we have seen that beginning in chapter 5, and it's a continuous theme here that is just growing and growing and growing in intensity until... Uh, we come here to this passage, and let's read beginning in uh, verse 21 of John chapter 8. 
Then Jesus said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself, because he says, Where I go, you cannot come? And he said to them, You are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Then they said to him, Who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. And as he spoke these words, many believed in him. Now, just as a side note here, too, I was, uh, I was thinking of how Christ was willing to speak truth, just to speak the truth um, in the face of opposition. We see that continually through the last four or five chapters of this book, how he was willing to um, prescribe truth to error and how he spoke clearly um, these things and notice I think this is a good good word for us who who preach and who endeavor to um, spread the word of God is that even Christ Jesus that glorious example of all preachers said that you know um, if I if I don't bring this in later he said that I do nothing of myself but as my father taught me i speak these things and he who sent me is with me and the father has not left me alone for i always do those things that please him and in verse 26 he says i have many things to say and to judge concerning you but he who sent me is true and i speak to the world those things which i heard from him what a glorious example of that 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 christ left for us ministers to speak those things to the world that we have learned from Him. And indeed, that is our calling. So as we consider this portion of God's Word, let's, we remember the audience, and we remember that the Jews are mentioned in, uh, in this passage, actually in verse 22. Uh, the Pharisees are mentioned in verse 13. Uh, John eight thirteen. the Pharisees therefore said to him, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Uh, you have uh, also the Jews in verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, we have his audience were made up of the descendants of Abraham in verse uh, 33 and verse 37. They stood on that. We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone And uh, he says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, verse 37, but you seek to kill me, uh, something your father wouldn't have done. And uh, then he says, uh, they are described, his audience is described as the devil's children. What what an amazing description. Verse 44, you are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. And this is primarily we have a religious audience here. We have the Jews uh, who are withstanding Christ. And so here in verse 21, we begin in our text. And Jesus is giving the Jews and us, by application, a very stark warning and I simply want to title this Christ's Warning to the Jews. But it is also for us, though. But I am here in verse 21 um, 
Matthew Henry commenting on this verse. He says, every word is terrible. Every word is terrible and bespeaks spiritual judgment. So I want to look at this verse primarily and use it to continue into the rest of the text that we have. But we'll be looking at verse 21 particularly and drawing from the text. So there are basically four warnings in this verse. Four warnings to us as religious people. And religion, by the way, is not a bad word. It is used in the scripture to speak of true religion. And, uh, but we have here a warning to those who, are, um, who have a zeal after God. But notice, the first one I want to point out, these four warnings in this verse is, are found. First one is, number one, I'm going away. Now, Jesus had said this earlier. He had said it before in John 7, in verse, in verse 33 and 34, if you just flip back. Again, it's the, the audience is the Pharisees, and Jesus said to them, I shall be, a little, be with you a little while longer, then I go to him who sent me. And there's a clarification for us to understand. Our verse in 8.21 is that when he says, I'm going away, he's not referring to going back to Capernaum or to Galilee or the other side of Jerusalem. No, he is referring to going back. I shall be with you a little while, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. And so, he is going back to his Father. He's going back to glory. He is soon to depart, and he says, I'm going away. And he is referring to, and if you notice that in verse 20, These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. That is a a reference. What he is referring to is that hour. That hour when when his hour would come, and he he would go to the cross, and then he would die and be buried, and he would be resurrected ultimately, and ascended and exalted and seated at the right hand of God. I am going away. That is a warning. Think about the glorious truth of His presence. If we had Christ here with us, and we know we do in spirit, for indeed, think about it, Jesus promised that where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. But here He says, I am going away. All the blessings of His physical presence would soon be removed from from them. And think about how in Judea, Christ had pretty much eliminated, not fully, but he had in in certain regions, he had pretty much eliminated disease. I mean, lepers were healed. They were cleansed. They were, the lame were, the paralyzed, they, they were healed. So the warning to them is, I will soon be gone from your presence. And if you think about Colossians 2.9 where it says, For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That you, you had in front of these Pharisees in, in, in Jerusalem, you had in front of them, teaching them, speaking to them, the divine Son of God, the very Son of God in bodily form. And if you were to come to Him, you would be speaking to God. And all the virtues of God were contained in Him. His, his glorious person. It was in Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, I am soon going away. And you can see how this distressed the, the disciples later on. But the warning is, I'm not, only, I'm not always going to be with you. And He says it in John 9, In verse 4, he says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. But he says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day 
For the night is coming when I must leave. And then in 12.35 we have it. John 12 in verse 35 he says, Jesus said to them, A little while longer the light is with you. Notice his encouragement to them. Walk while you have the light. Walk while you have the light. You know, there's a real warning, brothers and sisters here, that if you have light and you're not walking in it, it's a real danger for you to do that. For you to turn aside from light. Because there's going to be a day coming when you won't have that light. And then you will seek for it and you will not find it. So if you have light... If you have light, if, if you know something to do, that's why the Scripture tells us if you know to do good and you don't do it, it's sin. So a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. Indeed. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may have that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. What a glorious, what a glorious truth that while he was with them, he was the light of the world. The blessing of John 1.14, if you remember that passage where he says the word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. See, this is the Apostle John speaking about the glory that dwelt in the person and flesh of Christ. And we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And brothers and sisters, don't we know what it's like to be out here? And we have challenges that come our way, and we, we, we wish someone would sometimes just take us by the hand and lead us. How would Christ, well, you know, we have that, that saying, what would Jesus do? And it's, it's been, it's been uh, overused possibly, but the truth is that when Christ was on the earth and He dwelt in His flesh and dwelt among them, They beheld His glory, and everything that He did was an outworking of the will of God. Everything He did was perfect. Everything that He, how He lived, His agenda, His priorities, everything was pleasing to His heavenly Father. What a glorious thing it would have been to walk with Him. But then in verse 17 and 18, we have it again, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has shown us Him. He has revealed Him to us. He has declared Him. And so we know about the invisible God, the eternal God, through the incarnation of the Lord Jesus. And now the warning is given to them, to the Jews who resisted Him, who stood against Him in every form and fashion that they could. He tells them, I am going away. I am going away. That's the first warning that they they have. The second one is, you will seek me. You will seek me. You know, interesting. He says, again, in the passage in John 7, you will seek me and not find me. You know, that is, that is the danger of not embracing the light that you currently have. Because it won't always be with you, and it will not always come, it will not always be there when you get ready for it. So he says, you will seek me and not find me. Now, now here in, the, in our text it says, you will seek me and die and you will die seeking. But you will seek me. How is this a warning? Normally we think about seeking as a good thing. But 
John 7:34 says, "You will seek me and not find me." What is more frustrating than looking high and low for something that's that you were promised and you can't find it? You can't find it. Matthew 7 tells us, "Seek and you shall find." Well, how is it that they would not find him? How is it that they would not find the Messiah. Well, I wanted to turn, if you would, just flip back. I'll let the Bible answer the Bible. Romans 9, beginning in verse 30, there's a few, uh, a few verses here I would like to point out to you just to help answer that question. Why were the audience told here that you will seek me, but you will not find me? When we have other passages that says, seek and you shall find. Knock and it will be opened to you. In Romans 9 and verse 30 it says, What shall we say then that Gentiles, that's us who, do, who did not pursue righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? You see the contrast between verse 30 and verse 31. But Israel... Pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Why have they not arrived at the same place the Gentiles have? They had the law. They were blessed with the law and the ordinances of God. Why are they missing out? Verse 32, why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion, a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Brethren, my heart's desire and pray to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness. See, what they were looking for was they were seeking not the Christ of the Bible, not the Messiah according to, the, to prophecy or knowledge, but they were seeking to establish their own righteousness, you see. And seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. They, they were and would be seeking a Messiah that fit their agenda and the exclusive nature of them as children of Israel. See, they, this thing about being chosen of God went to their heads. They, they were an exclusive people, it's no doubt. The, the rest of the world were called Gentiles, and the children of Israel were called you know, the, the chosen people of God. But they pursued the law and it, it became to them a, a, a thing of exclusivity, a thing of pride. And for them to consider a Gentile to be ahead of them spiritually, I mean, imagine. That's, that's, what he, that's what he's saying in verse 32, that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to it. The righteousness of faith, but Israel did not. And they had a zeal after God. Israel did. But they being ignorant of God's righteousness and is seeking to establish their own, see, their own glory, their own agenda. They were denying Christ in the process. How easy is it for us to do that? Where we, we glory in something other than Jesus Christ. And see, he says, you will continue to seek for a Messiah. You will continue to do that. You, you will run after all these false messiahs. But you have the real Messiah right in front of you and you are denying him. You see, I am going away and you will seek me. But you won't find me. You won't find me. I do not fit your agenda. I do not fit man's agenda. I do not fit religion's agenda. False religion, a, a religion of works. I don't fit that. And if you are looking for a Messiah to, 
to build you up in your system. Sorry, I don't fit that. You will not find me there. Notice, rather, in the text that we read, that this Savior, this Messiah, is according to His Father's will, you see. In verse 28 and 29, Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of Myself. But as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone. For I, do, I always do those things that please him. And so what we see here is a warning that you will seek me and not find me because I am, I am busy about my Father's work. And you don't recognize my Father because you are from beneath. You are from this world. I am not from this world. And so... The plan, the, the plan of salvation is outside of this world. It is, it is something that the Father has come up with. The Messiah is according to the Father's plan and will. Matthew Henry again, he points out that the Jews' enmity and the rejection of the true Messiah and their seeking after false Christs are both their sin and their punishment. Think about it. If you pursue a different Christ than the one prescribed in Scripture, and you deny them, you're going to be doomed to a ceaseless groping after False Christ, after something else, anything else that will give you hope, that will give you meaning, that will give you purpose. And so their sin and their punishment are married together. They have denied the true Christ and that leaves them groping. Endless groping in darkness because they have rejected the light of the world. I had to think of the passage in both Peter and in Jude, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Indeed, that is that is what it's going to be like if you and I do not find him. We'll be an endless groping for meaning. You will seek me and not find me. And then number three. The third warning in verse 21 is you will die in your sin. You know, I I can't think of anything worse than that. The weight of this passage, the warning that it is to us, is heavy on my heart. I'm saying... That in this passage, he says, Christ says, you will die in your sin. Here is the wage of sin. It's death. And we have this terrible warning given. But we see how Christ, how, how he brought truth to them, even if it was painful. You see that? Just a, a clear declaration that You know, you will die in your sin. You will die seeking. To die without the remedy for sin is to die indeed. You know, this dying is a spiritual death as well. Maybe it is like, even though you're alive, you are currently dying. But then ultimately, you will die in your sin. You will depart. And if sin's power remains unbroken... Until your death date, it will remain that way. There is no recovering from the power of sin if it's not broken now. You will die in your sin. That sin will condemn us to death. But it is a death unlike what we know here. It is a spiritual death. This is that of which... Revelation 20 speaks of, and I must turn to that and read that. In Revelation 20, we have 
this passage that speaks of the second death. And as we consider this warning that Jesus gave to the Jews, unless that power of sin is broken, you see, either that's, that power has to be broken for us to live. And it is only through the work of Christ that it can be broken. But if it remains unbroken, when we die, it will continue to have its power over our destiny. Revelations 20, beginning in verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was, no, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, those who had already died, you see. But here they are brought forward again, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. You know that that's submersible? What is he, the name of Titan? It's been in the news. It will give up its dead. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. We have it again. In verse 8 of chapter 21, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And Jesus is saying in John 8, You will seek me, but you will die in your sin. And what I think he's, and I, as I referred to earlier, they were seeking a their own, their own uh, Messiah according to their to their agenda. But here, as you will seek and you will die, this word sin in verse 21 in our text is singular. It's a singular use. It's, it means your sin. It is singular in the Greek text. And it refers to that particular sin with, for which they were known for. That, that particular sin that the audience had at that point and what was that? You will die in that sin of yours, he says. You will die in your own sin. That one that, one that defines who you are. And so we have it in verse 23 and 24. Jesus defines that sin. It is a particular sin. And he said to them in verse 23, You are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. And I read that without the word he. For if you do not believe that I am he, which is added, you will die in your sins. So the sin here, is referring to the sin of unbelief. And you know, it's the only sin that cannot be forgiven. Because if you persist, if I persist in unbelief, it is the remedy for every other sin. Every sin can be forgiven if we but have faith in Christ. And so, as we have noticed, I, I hope you've noticed it, as we went through the Gospel of John, this whole argument of the gospel of john is the identity of jesus christ remember i haven't read this in a little bit but it's back here in in the uh end of the gospel of john we have this this uh word in john 20 in verse 30 and truly jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book but these are written that you may believe that jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, 
and that believing you may have life in his name. That is the whole purpose of the Gospel of John, is that they were recording this so that we might understand that this person who walked the shores of Galilee and who was standing in the temple in this very passage teaching that it was he who was the Son of God and that he is the Son of God. And when he refers to them not believing that I am, he's making a statement that they were aware of what he was saying because that's how, that's how God had identified himself in the Old Testament. We have that, for instance, I'll just, there are a number of them, but I will, I will share with you a very well-known one in Exodus 3. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read for you. Um, we, have, we have God coming to Moses in the burning bush passage, and God uh, tells him that he has a, a work for him to do. He says, Come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And in verse 11, Moses says to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you. Well, etc. Then he goes down, down in verse 13. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, well, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Verse 14, And God said to Moses, I am whom I am. And what a statement that is. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. He says, I am who I am. That simply is saying, I am the self-existent one. I am who I am. And when Jesus says, if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sin. If you persist in that belief that I am not the Messiah, I am not the Son of God, then you will die in your sin. For if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sin. So he defines that particular sin of the not believing in the identity of this person who was before them. And he says it again in verse 28. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am, and that I do nothing of myself. Again, that's italicized, that I am. So this, this is the definition of the sin that they persisted in, not believing that Jesus Christ was the Christ, but that he was a false messiah. And therefore, uh, Christ says, you will die in your sin. And you have it in the end of this chapter. Remember, those Jews who believed in him, we didn't go there. In verse 31, it says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, and he had a discourse with them through the end of the chapter, and Jesus said to them in verse 20, 58, Most assuredly I say to you before Abraham was, I am. And there he makes a clear, absolute statement that I am, I am God. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and so passed by. Well, the fourth one here that we see is that where I go, this is another warning. Where I go, you cannot come. Where I go, you cannot come. This was a message to the religious people who defied him and stood against him all the way. Where I go, you cannot come. And if there's ever... You know, I've had to think about that. It's not only that they cannot come. It's that they don't want to come. In a sense, because I've had to think about that here. I have spoken, I have spoken to, so sometimes you speak to people who are uncomfortable to talk about spiritual matters. I think all of you understand what that's like. You meet someone and you begin to talk to them about, and uh, soon they're squirming. And they just hope 
that you don't get too pointed. You know, well, how is it with you? You know, if you go there, you know, how is it with you? And you make it pointed with them. It's not only that these people cannot go to where Christ is, is they would not enjoy themselves if they got there. Think about it. If you're uncomfortable, if I'm uncomfortable to relate to spiritual matters and the glories of what Christ has done and who He is, and we can speak at length about that and enjoy that and, and fellowship around that, can you imagine being in, in the glory in heaven where Christ is and, and that's all they're doing? You see? Where sin is reigning, we cannot be where Christ is, you see. We, we don't have that. Where sin is in power, you see, that power has got to be broken. And we, we do not enjoy Christ in that state. We do not enjoy the things of the Lord. Where I go, you cannot come. It's not... Either you may not. It says you cannot. It's, it's an impossible. It's an impossibility. You are from beneath. I am from above. And in that state you cannot. You cannot join me. Well I want to just flip over to John 14. And compare this statement. Of you cannot come. Where I go, you cannot come. But in John 14, now here we have a different audience. We have a different audience. It's His disciples who are with Him on the evening of the Last Supper. And Simon has already left. I mean, uh, Judas has already left. And Peter has already made his statement that I will follow you till death. I will lay down my life for your sake. And Jesus said, well, you, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. Then in verse 14, chapter 14 and verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there, right there, where I am, Jesus says to his disciples who loved him and wanted to follow him, there you will be with me. What a glorious thing. And where I go, he says, where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know in the way you know. We have two vastly different audiences. One, Jesus says to them, where I am, you cannot come. And then to the other audience, He says that I am going to prepare a place for you and I'm going to come back for you so that where I am, you may be there too. We have a beautiful picture of the goodness of Christ who has changed those who are from beneath and converted, converted them to those who are from above. So we have these, this very serious warning that we see here in verse 21. And the Jews just said, hmm, is he going to kill himself? You know, because he says, where I go, you cannot come. It's almost like they were, that was a, a very serious thing in Jewish culture. Obviously, suicide still serious. But it was one of the, it was looked at as, you know, one of the most heinous things you could do is to kill yourself. And they're saying, is he going to kill himself? Because if he does, I can't go there. You see, it's, it's almost like it was a mockery. It's, it's a... It's having just given them this amazing warning. They just said, well, is he going to kill himself where I go? You cannot come. And he said to them, you are from beneath. I am from above. And what he said there 
For if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. And that the response that, they, that it brought was accurate. They said, well, who are you? They said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, I've been, I am consistent. I've been telling you from the beginning that this is who I am. From the beginning, he says, just what I've been saying to you from the beginning. It seemed maybe they were wanting a declaration that they could pin on him. He said, this, this, and this. I, I don't know, but he just simply said, I am what I've told you in the past. Um, you know, in 517, he, he says that he, he claims to be the Son of God, where that was after he healed that man by the pool of Bethesda. He says, Jesus answered them, My father's been working until now, and I've been working. Uh, in 426, he tells a Samaritan woman, I who speak to you am he, when referring, about, referring to Christ. Uh, Jesus makes the claim that I, he is the bread of life in chapter 6. Chapter 8 here, I'm the light of the world. I have been consistently telling you that this is who I am. And the fact in verse 23 that he is saying that you are of this world, I am not of this world. His actions indicate that. His actions, Christ's affections and desires were tied to the things above where his father is. He did his will on earth as it is done in heaven. And we see him to be consistent. He says, I have many things to say and to judge concerning you. But notice he doesn't, he doesn't say it all. He doesn't say everything he could say to them. He says there, But he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. He could speak many things about judgment concerning them, but he's, he withholds it. He only says those things which his father gave him to speak. Maybe that's a good word for us too. Sometimes we... We unload too much. We, we, we don't deal with just with what the least that we have to say about something evil. Someone evil. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. But then Jesus said to them in verse 28, When you lift up the Son of Man. And notice, they sneeringly said, Will he kill himself? Right to his face. Notice what he says. When you lift up the Son of Man. He knew that they were going to kill him. He knew that it was they that would crucify him. We see that. When you lift up the Son of Man. When you lift him up on the cross. When you offer him up. On that instrument of death. When you lift him up. When you crucify Him, is what my center column refers to. When you crucify the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And as they thought of Him killing Himself, He stood there knowing that they would, they would be the ones to crucify Him. And indeed, what a... What a courage that must have taken to say to his very persecutors that you will lift me up. But then you will know, after you have lifted me up, then you will know that I am. And if you go to passages in Acts where Peter was preaching, you have these very same Jewish people who were coming to faith. They were coming to faith following the crucifixion. Remember what Jesus said or what Peter said to them? You by wicked hands have crucified him and it the reaction of that they had was men and brethren what shall we do and what was it three thousand that were saved i'm thinking maybe that is what the intent is that christ was saying you lift me up you will you will fall under the conviction of what you have done and you will see either through the miracle of the resurrection or through the miracles surrounding his crucifixion and death, the, the, you know, all the miracles that happen. You lift me up, then you will know that I am. And that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. 
And we'll close with this last verse where um, verse 30, as he spoke these words, many believed in him. And can we can we just take that at face value, knowing, though, that some of these were probably false professors? But it does say many believed in him. But Jesus makes clear, and we'll look at that next time, about those who believe in him. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. But truly, surely we can, we can see here, though, that many did believe in him. Many came to faith in him. As he spoke these words, what words? Those taught to him by his father. Those were the things that he was laying out in front of them. Speaking to the world, those things which I heard from him. As the Father taught me, I speak these things. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. You see, there was a, I came across a, in, uh, in the uh, commentary, I think it was. I'm not sure which one it was anymore. Um, about the... The the, uh, the martyrdom of Stephen and how his face shone like an angel and how the people must have even been convicted about the way that he died. Well, can you imagine here with Christ, the very Son of God, speaking about his father's, him and how his father never left him, that he was always with him, and that truly these words must have had an impact. You know, to, to have him speaking these things in front of this hostile audience, as he spoke these words, many did believe in him. Surely, it must have been a glorious uh, teaching. But let's take these, this, this passage of Scripture to heart as we consider the implications and the application for us that they had the glorious Lord Jesus right there with them, but not always. And we have now the apostolic commentary. We have all of the scriptures teaching us what all this meant, what his ministry meant to us. And let's not turn away from this light of the scripture that we have, because he, truly He is still the light of the world. He's still shining forth to us and, exp- and revealing His truth to us. Because indeed, if we turn away from this serious warning here, that if we have a zeal after God, but it's not according to knowledge, we will perish in our sin. And where I go, you cannot come. Let's take this to heart. Thank you for uh, your kind attention, and uh, we will be dismissed.